Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Colin Squires. Good morning, everybody. Should we start just by praying, shall we? Jesus, we just want to give every, every minute the rest of this service over to you. We just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us, prepare our hearts. Father, I pray that not one of us, myself included, would have any sense of this doesn't apply to me this morning, but Father, your word would be applied to our hearts for our good, for your kingdom to come, and Jesus, that we might be more and more transformed into your image for the world around us to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. So this morning, we're talking about stuff. Did anyone see the advert with Ewan McGregor? It was uh, on last year around the summertime. Uh, and, and he says, he says this, stuff. Should I try and do a Scottish accent? Stuff. We love stuff. And there's some really great stuff out there. He looks at a shiny new car. But I doubt that any of us will look back at our lives and think, I wish I'd bought an even thinner TV or had an even smarter smartphone. Do you think any of us will look back at our lives and regret the things that we didn't buy or the places we didn't go? That's my best Ewan McGregor accent. Okay. Thank you. Um, he, he was actually doing an advert for Expedia as a travel agent and saying, you don't need more stuff, you need to buy our holiday packages. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think it felt like the, the power of his message was slightly lost in that it was still an advertising campaign. But there's something in there that I think is really important. And I want to ask this question. I believe God is wanting to ask this question to us. At the end of our lives, if we were to have any regrets, what do you think they might be? I really don't think it would be the stuff that we never got to own. I also don't think it would really be the places we never got to visit. If only I'd seen the sun rising over the savannah, then I would have been truly happy. I wonder whether it's more likely it would have been, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. I wish I'd invested more in that friendship. I wish I had actually invited my neighbours over for that meal. I wish I had witnessed to people in my town that bit more. Now, I'm not saying that we, you know, we're going to get to the end of our lives just full of regret. <laughs> But it's important to look at this now, isn't it? Rather than then, I think, God, what are the things that you are saying are really important and I need to put my attention on? And yet, we, we hear uh, quotes, things like Jim Carrey have shared this quote before. They share this in Alpha. Jim Carrey saying, I think that everyone should get rich and famous and have everything they ever wanted so, and everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it is not the answer. We know this to be true, right? We know the adage that money can't buy you happiness and all that kind of thing. But despite this, how many of us feel, if we're really honest, that we think we would be happier if probably we kept most things the same but earned a bit more money? How many of us think we would be, I would be happier if I just had a bigger house? Or if I had that, a faster car, life would be happier. But then how many of us have also experienced when that happens and you get a pay rise or you move house or whatever, that actually the feeling hasn't changed at all. You still have the feeling of, but if I just had a bit more paycheck or an even bigger house, I would be happy or at least happier. 
Have you ever bought something and then just really, really excited about it, only to get it, and after a couple of weeks, the shine wears off and there's no more excitement? And that, that hole that it seemed to fill, you realised it was so fleeting, only to leave you wanting more. Anyone ever been there? Yeah. For me, it was a Morphe Richards soup maker. <laughs> Sauté and soup. To be fair, we were doing three weeks of prayer and fasting, uh -huh. so anything that had the, just the concept of this will make food for you that's tasty and quick, yeah, yeah. I was in for. And, uh, and, and I bought this, this sauté and soup maker. I did buy it secondhand, but nevertheless, I was really excited to make my soup only to realise that I could make it quicker and tastier if I just made it myself on the stove top. And of course, so I used it a handful of times. It lived at the back of the cupboard for a while. Ironically, taking more time because it had so many awkward bits to clean that it took longer and then it got mouldy and then eventually we cleaned up and then we ended up selling it. So, yeah, I, I've been there too. And I'm sure I'm in a room full of mature Christians. Nobody here would ever have given into impulse buying here. <laughs> Nobody here, you know, would ever have experienced buyer's remorse. Of course, like I'm looking around, you're all far too holy for that. But... Despite knowing it, we still want more stuff, right? In the 1950s, Fred Whitman, a wealthy San Franciscan, uh, coined the phrase affluenza as this almost like this disease of the wealthy who would have the money and the means to buy the stuff they wanted and yet still felt this malaise and this just lack and this emptiness. Jesus summed it up like this. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life is not measured by, nor is experienced in, having lots of stuff. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to model our life on him, right? To follow after him. What does the narrow way look like between having more than enough and just wanting more and more and more and more over this side of the ditch and over this side, that sort of ascetic attitude of, I must never have anything, a poverty mindset, you know, to have anything is sin and over here. But what does the narrow way look like? that Jesus wants to call us on to. And as disciples, our attitude to money and things must be modelled on him, not our culture. Amen? Now, we're looking at then over these next few weeks this, this um, series on stewardship. And you might be thinking, hold on, Colin, hasn't God been talking about worship and focus on him? This seems a bit of like a dog's leg, a bit of a right turn, sharp right, you know. But it's because Jesus knows that if there is one thing more than anything else that can take the direction of our hearts away from where he wants to go, it is money and stuff. Jesus said, where your treasure will be, there your heart will be also. So if we want our hearts directed to Jesus, focused on Jesus, if we want to give space for Jesus to do what he wants to do, we need to talk about our money and our stuff. I like the way that St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, put it. He said, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. If we want our hearts to belong to Jesus, we need to guard our hearts fiercely against the spirit of this age, the spirit of mammon, against the temptation to look for fulfilment in things and to learn how to be stewards and not owners. We live in a culture that is addicted to accumulation. Yes. In, uh, in 1928, the American journalist Robert Quinlan described materialism like this. He said, buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Yeah. <laughs> now, on the whole, in the West, we have a lot of stuff, right? 
In, uh, in 2018, Hiscox Insurance Company estimated the average UK home has 47,000 items. Other estimates have put this, uh, this figure as high as 300,000. The average Brit currently owns 118 items of clothing, 26% of which have been unworn for the last year. There are so many unworn, unworn shoes in British households that put heel to toe, they would go once around the world. That's 24,901 miles along the equator. And av on average, there are seven pairs of unwanted and unworn shoes per person. And yet so many people in the world who go without shoes on their feet. In the UK, one study found that children have on average 238 toys, but only play with 12 of them on a daily basis. Or in monetary terms, 7,000 pounds worth of toys, but play with 330 pounds worth. 3.1% of the world's population of children live in America, but they own 40% of the toys consumed globally. The average American woman, I'm sorry I couldn't find a UK stat for this, but I imagine it's fairly similar over here, um, owns 30 outfits, one for every day of the month. In 1930, that figure was nine. And Jesus said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, I am painfully aware that we're in the midst of a cost of living crisis at the moment. You might be thinking, Colin, I'm not thinking about which next golf club I can buy to fill that hole in my heart. I'm thinking, how am I going to put food on the table and pay the rent on my house? I'm painfully aware that that is the case at the moment. But please, for many, please bear with me, because I believe that what God wants to say through this, through his word today, is, is in one part, is an answer to that need. That those of us, the church is meant to meet the, one another's needs. And for those of us who have plenty, to be able to respond to what Jesus is maybe calling us into to help meet those needs but also that today is not actually a message really about stuff. It's about our hearts. So whether we're people that we might look at and think they've got loads and I've not got much, this is not about comparative wealth. This is about our hearts and where do we find our security? Where do we look for for security? Where do we look for fulfillment? What are we putting our faith and our hope and our trust in? Whether we have lots or we have not very much. The famous oil tycoon John Rockefeller, I've been to the top of the Rockefeller Center in New York, um, great view of a Central Park. He once said, uh, when, when he was asked how much money is enough, he said, just a little bit more. Google Ngram, which is a, a software online that, that uh, looks at the number of times certain phrases have been used in publications, newspapers, things like that, um, has shown that the phrase, you deserve, has more than tripled from between 1970 and 2008. In the New York Times, the phrase appeared more than four times more often in 2018 as it did in 1981. The world, the devil even, I believe, is saying you need, you even more, you deserve more stuff, more money. Look at them over there. Look at what they've got. You need to be like that. You deserve it. We know comparison is the thief of joy, right? And yet... This idea is being pumped out through every advert. I encourage you to watch TV adverts and look at how many of them are selling a product. This product will last longer. It works better than its competitors. It is more efficient. And how many adverts are selling you a dream, a life? 
How many are selling you, if you buy this, you'll be happier. You'll look like this. You'll be more beautiful. There are very few, very, very few, if any, like the first. We're being sold a lie by the world. Jesus warns against this. Not only the emotional impact on us and our souls, but on the spiritual impact as well. He says the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, or as I love in the Amplified puts it, the deceitfulness of the false security of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word. The word of God can be choked out by this desire for stuff, making it unfruitful. Do we want to be fruitful people for the kingdom? Amen. Yes, we do. Amen. Hopefully we do. So experience tells us that more stuff won't buy us happiness. The word tells us that stuff won't buy us happiness. So where are we to find that happiness, that satisfaction? Jesus turns this hedonistic pursuit of stuff on its head when he said that famous line, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about what does the word blessed mean? If you're reading the Beatitudes and blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek, blessed are the... What does blessed, blessed, what does it mean? The Greek word is makarios. And uh, and I couldn't sum this up better than Dr. E. Randolph Richards, so I've just quoted him. He said, makarios is a word we don't have in English. It was a word that the Greeks had for the feeling that you have when you're happy. It is a feeling of contentment when you know your place in the world and are satisfied with that place. If your life had been fortunate, you should feel makarios. We use idioms in English to try and approximate this experience. We'll say, my life has really come together, or I'm in a happy place, or life has been good to me. We're not really discussing the details of our life. We're trying to describe a feeling that we have. Happy sounds trite, so we avoid it. Actually, we are Makarios. Since English doesn't have a word for this feeling, translators have struggled to find one. What do you call it when you feel happy, content, balanced, harmonious and fortunate? Anyone want to feel that way? Well, translators have concluded you are blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. Doesn't mean we look for this in English. We look to try and see this as meaning, well, what do I have to do? What action? And then what will somebody do to me in response to that? It's a very British Western way of thinking. I am a peacemaker, God will bless me. It's not really what it says. It's saying, if you live these kingdom principles, you will be happy. This is where you find fulfillment, living the way that Jesus has said. So it is more blessed, it's happy to give than to receive. In Matthew 6, 19, 20, Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what are treasures in heaven and how do we store them up? I hear you cry. Shh, yeah, I know, it's okay, we'll get there. <laughs> One word can sum this up, as we'll see, comes out in other scriptures, generosity. Jesus said, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Anyone else? I didn't hear a shout of hallelujah, amen. Sell everything you have and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Why isn't everyone going, yeah, pick me, I want to do that. Me, me, me. Now, you might, if you're listening to this, if you weren't a Christian, say, well, this is some great principles here. I could apply this and I could live a happy life. 
if we're to really apply what Jesus is saying, we'll find just like the disciples, well then who can be saved? Who can do this? Because the level that Jesus calls us to live this in is not really accomplished, is, can be accomplished by man in our own hearts. Our hearts are deceitful and selfish in nature. We need the grace of God. Jesus goes on to say what is impossible for man is possible for God. We need God in this. We're not just saying, oh Jesus, thank you for this principle. I'm now going to go and live it. We're saying, thank you for this principle. It's impossible for me. Jesus, come and live it through me. Come and enable me. And so when he says to the, to the rich man, sell everything, it's in the aorist active tense. So this is a Greek tense. Again, we don't really have this in English, but it's not saying go and sell everything in one go. Take that whole pile of cash and go and give it to the poor. It is a go on selling your possessions and go on giving to the poor. So this man turned away sad. We assume maybe he was a businessman. His life was the pursuit of wealth and Jesus is turning on its head. So it's no longer about getting more for you. Your lifestyle, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, is to be one where you are giving, not getting. Sell everything. Keep selling and keep selling and keep giving and keep giving. Generosity is what Jesus is saying. Not you have to be destitute to follow Jesus, but that we must have a heart that is geared towards giving, not geared towards getting. If you've got your Bible, let's turn to 1 Timothy 6, uh, verses 5 to 19. I want to give it a bit of context here. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who is leading the church in Ephesus. Paul was the apostle, which meant he was sort of overseeing, making sure churches and church leaders are doing the right thing and in line with what God is saying. And, uh, and he's talking to Timothy about some leaders, some, some Bible teachers, who were, it says, think that godliness is a means to financial gain. The implication is probably that they were preaching messages that maybe people wanted to hear or they were going around saying, I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher, you should pay me. And they were taking money from congregations um, for their own gain. They thought that godliness is a means of financial gain. Um, this is maybe we could take from this application for us is to beware of the prosperity gospel, of the idea that taken to sort of uh, the nth degree is my prayer life is just about God, how can you give me more? The whole entirety of the gospel is God wants to bless me with more stuff, which is really what it's about. Now, I'm not saying that, suggesting we should instead preach a poverty gospel, but again, we have the narrow way. Over here is prosperity, it's all just about me. Over here is I must have nothing. And the narrow way is a heart that is submitted to Jesus. And, uh, and so Paul is going on to say, compare this, godliness is a mean of financial gain. The next line says, but godliness with contentment is itself great gain. He's saying it's not about trying to get more stuff. Godliness is the stuff. Godliness is that satisfaction. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. There's that Ewan McGregor line again. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Hands up here, who, if you lost everything and all you had was godliness, food, uh, and, uh, and, and that was it, and clothing, would be content. Wow, you guys are amazing. I'm, I'm not sure, if I'm perfectly honest, whether I could put my hand up yet. I want to be able to, but I'm not, if I lost everything, I'm, I'm not sure how immediately... Having said that, I remember once when I had nowhere to live and I was literally living on friends' sofas and was sofa surfing and everything that I owned, all my earthly possessions, fitted in the back of my friend's Nissan Micra. And actually, I was very content. 
I had godliness, food and clothing and a friend's sofa to sleep on, which I was incredibly thankful for. I had very little. And yet, I don't remember being, I don't, I'm certainly not more content now that I have more stuff. Um, but even if, because I, I, think, I think the problem for me would be just food and clothing and godliness wouldn't be content because I live in Britain and 11 months of the year I'd be freezing cold. <laughs> but even if we added shelter to that list, food, clothing, shelter and godliness, this is where we need Jesus, right? This is where the godliness bit comes before the contentment. We need the godliness bit. If we lost everything and just had food and clothing and you ask people in the world, they wouldn't be happy. Godliness is where we find that contentment. And how does Paul get this? How does Paul go, well, if I lost everything, had nothing, I would still be content. We learn in Philippians 4.11, he said, I have learned to be content. This is something that we've learned. And those people who lifted up their hands, praise God, these guys have learned the secret. Let's all be looking to go on that journey of, God, I want to learn that secret. Paul said, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's in Christ. Just as Jesus said, what is impossible for man is possible for God. Jesus also said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That satisfaction, that blessing will be added to you. The stuff that you need will be added to you. The clothes, the shelter, the, even the blessings of the good stuff that God does love to lavish upon us. We add to you, if we put him, this is the secret. We seek him, we don't seek the stuff. Paul's also showing us here that our assessment of God's love for us must never be in how rich we are or how much stuff we have or don't have. Our estimation of his love must be rooted firmly and established in what Jesus has done for us. Because John 3.16 does not say, for God so loved the world, he gave everyone a new iPad. Amen. (laughs) Let's go back to 1 Timothy, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager eager for money have wandered off from the faith. Again, there's that word being choked out picture again and pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, the picture that Jesus is painting of pursuing stuff and uh, an Expedia holidays and all that kind of thing is, is not a great one, is it? This is often also one of the most misquoted verses in scripture. How many people have heard money is the root of all evil? It's not what it says. It says the love of money is a root of evil. Um, And so the kinds of evil that this is a root of can be greed, pride, envy, jealousy, lust. But then Paul says, so let's not love love money. We want to make sure where we're putting our heart, right? But you, man of God, that's you and me, man and woman of God, flee from all this. Flee from it and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Those are treasures in heaven. Fight the good fight of faith. And this is where we said earlier, we have to fight this. This is not a passive thing. We will not passively become more generous. We will not passively have our hearts turned to Christ and away from the things of the world. This is an active, by faith, application of a different way of living. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. And then he goes on, I'm going to skip a few verses, talking about what that means, what that means in relation to God, who God is. We've not got time to go into all of that depth. We're going to skip on to, at the moment, to verse 17. 
where Paul says, command those who are rich in this present age, this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Now, in the church in Ephesus, where, where Timothy was, to the church to which Paul was writing, there were lots of wealthy people in the church there, um, either by birth or they, they had made the money, it was a rich part of the world, and already in possession of gold and rank. Um, and it's interesting that Paul doesn't say to them, command the rich to sell everything, but he says, don't put your trust in wealth. Charles Ellicott, um, in his, he was a 19th century theologian, in his commentary, he put it this way, I thought it was fantastic. The wish to be rich was a sure root of error and of evil. But the being rich was a very different thing. This class was surrounded with special perils, but still, even as rich, they might serve God faithfully. So in his charge to them, he commands them not to strip themselves of their wealth, but to use it wisely and generously. Because money is not evil. Having, we praise God for the people God has called to go out and make money to supply for those who don't have. Praise God, money's not evil. But where we're directing it and where our hearts are directed towards it is where there is a root of all kinds of evil. It's about heart. Let's read that in context again. So command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of that life that is truly life. The adverts we see on TV, buy this iPad and you'll be happy, buy this makeup product and you'll look younger, is not life that's truly life. We can learn a few things from this. Number one is not to be arrogant. Self-sufficiency is an attitude or an attitude of I made it on my own is a very Western virtue. It is not a biblical one. Self-sufficiency is not a virtue in the Bible. It's the opposite of it. Trust in God and saying I cannot but he can is the virtue. Money, the second thing we can learn, money is uncertain. When the pandemic hit, Sir Richard Branson almost lost everything. Now, thanks to some uh, financial injection from shareholders and, and businesses, uh, he managed to keep the Virgin Group afloat. Um, it still cost him £1.5 billion personally. I don't know about you, I, I mean, I could cope with losing £1.5 billion. I barely notice. Um, but for most of us, that's a, that's a lot of money. It can go like that. Jesus tells a parable about a, a, a rich man who stores up wealth for himself and he thinks, I'm going to live the good life. But then that day his life is demanded of him. And Jesus says, you've stored all this up, but you couldn't use it. Thing, circumstances change like that. But God is unchanging. He's always trustworthy. He's always going to be able to always provide. That doesn't mean that, like Paul, we're always going to live in a massive house and have loads of stuff. But he will always give us life in its fullness, in its fullness, godliness and contentment. And the third thing we can learn here is that God is not a killjoy. He is so good. He does lavish good things upon us. He does give us and bless those, those tickets, that football match. He does bless us with those things that maybe whatever that might have been for you, a new car or someone just gives you, put some cash in your hand. You just go, God, I don't deserve this. You have blessed me so abundantly. It says here, for our enjoyment. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so kind. You lavish your goodness upon us. 
but also not to spoil us, to show us his good love for us. Maybe to put it this way, we don't live for the new car. We don't seek the new car to bring us a deep and lasting satisfaction. But if we're blessed with a new car, that thing should point us and our hearts towards thanksgiving to God's goodness. Amen. Do you see the difference? It's about our heart direction, not whether we have the thing or not. It's not about stuff. It's heart direction. A friend of mine recently just told me the other day that he recently just got a new car and he was sat in it for the first time to start it and just was so excited. And God spoke to him and said, when was the last time you were this excited about the things that I am doing? And he was like, oh, oh, that's a good challenge. That's a challenge to me. (laughs) And the fourth thing we can learn here is store up treasure in heaven. Doing good deeds, being generous, giving to the poor, about a heart that is directed not to what can I get, but what can I give. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. But also it's important to see Paul is addressing here the rich in this present age. Who are the rich? I don't know about you, I don't consider myself a rich man. There might be some people in here you go, yeah, I'm I'm pretty wealthy, I'm, I'm probably considered a rich person. Probably most of us though, I imagine wouldn't say, I am a rich person, right? Or am I speaking to a room full of really, really rich people? If we lined up 100 people on this stage representing every person in the world, from the very richest to the very poorest, where do you think you might be stood if you had to shuffle into that line of 100 people? Which one, where would you be? Might be 60th? 50th? Maybe we're doing really well? 40, 30th? Get into the top third? If in the UK you earn the average income for, it, for a person working full-time, you're between second and third in the world. If you have a, a house or a car, a smartphone, you are probably within the top 15%. The minimum wage in the UK in, this, 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 uh, in the world would put you no lower than 15th. Now, obviously, there are people... I'm, please, please, hear my heart here. I'm not trying to say, if you are struggling to make ends meet, Please, I'm not saying, well, you just need to grow up because, look, you're, you're 15th in the world. That is not what I'm saying at all. The, the needs that we have, obviously, in this country and how much things cost us are just as legitimate. One dollar will buy you an awful lot in other parts of the world than it would buy in America or one pound here. I'm not trying to illegitimize our needs. What I'm trying to say is, let us never pass over this and skim over it and say, it is talking about someone else. What, it, what Paul is wanting to write about the, where our hearts should be, he is addressing to us. Because who are the rich in this present age? We are. We are. Even if we are, you know, so please, I hope that makes sense. I'm not trying to undermine any need. Um, but we are. Paul, God is speaking to us. So what might our response be? What can we do to direct our hearts away from a worldly mindset of I need more, 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 more towards Jesus? From a heart set on treasures on earth to a heart set on treasures in heaven. Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And I felt God's just saying through this really practical suggestions, really practical. That this is not just a prayer response in a moment and go, thank you, Jesus. But this is a, how, what are we going to do with the rest of this week, the rest of this month, the rest of this year? How are we going to start living differently and putting something into practice that then our hearts begin to follow? So our steps start to walk down that narrow road and we drag our hearts out of the ditch along the way. Amen? Number one is practice gratitude. 
Could we decide to step off the treadmill of the world of needing to buy more, have more, store up more, and a desire for what we don't have, and move towards simplicity, satisfaction, and thankfulness for what we do have? Keep your lives, Jesus said, uh, it says in Hebrews, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with that you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I think this is part of that secret, learning the secret to be content. Godliness and contentment with what I have. Not necessarily just having less, but wanting less. Wanting more Jesus and less stuff. Secondly then, perhaps we could live simpler, live with less. How much of our time, care and attention, money, thought is spent on the upkeep, organisation and storage and security of our stuff? You buy that new thing and now you need to think about a new security camera to guard that thing. And then you need a new phone that will sync with the Wi-Fi signal of that camera to look after the thing. And then, I'm sorry, I can't come out and spend time with you tonight because I'm setting up my new phone on the Wi-Fi for the security camera for the new thing I've bought. Could we free up time, headspace, money and spiritual real estate in our lives and in our souls by getting rid of some stuff we don't need? Now, this is not going to be about replacing one idol, materialism, with another idol of like an asceticism of uh, severe self-discipline and avoiding all forms of indulgence and just kind of like, I must have no stuff, otherwise I'm not holy. And then we go, by the way, everyone, look how holy I am that I've given all my stuff away. Come and look at my Scandi-inspired architectural apartment that has nothing in it, how holy I am. There's not about that, swap one for another form of idolatry, but about going through our home taking a room, going through it, taking each item and going, do I need this? Is this useful to me? Does it point my heart towards thankfulness to God? does Does it elicit worship and praise for me? Is it good for my soul? And if not, could I give it away, sell it, give it to charity, recycle it? Oxfam on their website says that an average bag of donated stuff like clothes, books, music, DVDs and homewares can raise enough money to help two vulnerable families uh, buy desperately needed food in an emergency or buy five buckets designed to keep water clean and, uh, and free from disease. By the way, I forgot to mention this earlier, but if you're interested in that hundred people, where would I be? You can go to www.givingwhatwecan.org put in how much you earn in your household and see where, I, where am I on 100 people out of the whole world. And then it gives some really good examples of what would happen if I gave this percentage of my income? What difference would it make? I really encourage you to go check it out. So could we go through our rooms and get rid of the stuff that we don't need? Now, I believe that as we do, and we've been, Kate and I have been on a journey of this for, for quite a while, we found two things. One, it's so freeing brings greater headspace. Psychologists, by the way, have shown that there is a correlation between the amount of clutter you have in your house and how good your quality of sleep is. The less quality, uh, sorry, the less clutter, the better quality. Um, We feel better. The second thing we've realized, though we we think we live fairly, you know, we're not about stuff and and that kind of thing. We try and live fairly, definitely within our means and not seeking just to buy more things. We're not, thank, praise God, we don't really live that way. And yet what we've realized is we have so much stuff. 
We've given away so much. We've sold so much. We've you know, recycled so much. And yet there's so much more stuff. Where does it come from? Could we go through our houses and get rid of that stuff to free up that space in our head space, in our spirit, to spend it more time with people, with the Lord, praying, giving that money away? What effect do you think it would have on you emotionally and spiritually? How do you think you would feel getting rid of the things that you didn't really need? And where might you start? What would be the hardest room to do that in and why? Just some stuff to think about and reflect on. And, and as we, I hope, we, all of us put something of this into practice. And number three, we could try limiting ourselves. Self-discipline is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Do you, are you someone who struggles with that sense of, if I just buy that thing, that will satisfy me? Maybe Rachel was a, brought that prophetic word and, and that prophetic song that was just from the heart of God this morning. Do you find yourself feeling that emptiness? And do you find yourself scrolling through Amazon, Black Friday deals, trying to think, what could I get? Would this make me feel better? Could we, perhaps if we see something that we want and thinking about buying, ask God, is this going to be a good thing for me to have at this time? Could we create space between seeing what we want and then buying it? Maybe give yourself 72 hours or a week before seeing and buying, just to practice that self-discipline. Perhaps you need some accountability. Maybe in your small group or prayer triplet, you might set a limit saying, if I spend anything over 500 pounds or 1,000 pounds or 50 pounds, whatever it might be for you, say, I'm going to run it by my accountability partners, just to say, hey, this is what I want to spend my money on. Do you think this is going to be good for me? Just help me. Is this a wise decision? You might want to plan your shopping trips. If it's not on the list, we don't buy it. Avoiding that impulse buying and training ourselves to have a heart that's focused on God. What are you saying is important? Do you find that maybe a, is, is a bit of a stumbling block social media? You scroll through Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might be and see that person on that holiday with those sunglasses and think, oh, if I had that, I would be happy. <laughs> Bearing in mind that that person probably might be having a miserable time on their holidays, just bought the sunglasses to try and make themselves happy and then puts them on their face and then takes a, a picture with a filter on to try and make it look like the thing that they bought is actually doing what they hoped it were doing. And meanwhile, if any of us have done that, we're just passing on the gospel of greed. And we're just passing on to somebody else. If you be like me, buy more stuff while inside we're going, but it's not satisfying me. Maybe you need to take some time away from social media, delete the app, delete, just remove yourself from it and get our hearts focused on Jesus. The less I've been on, I'm now, I have very little social media presence. I have two minutes timed on my phone every day for Facebook um, just to go, is there anything interesting to date? No. And that's it. And the less that I'm on it, the less I have any care about being on it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Removing our hearts further to him. And I also just want to warn about uh, collections. Collections, collecting stuff can be one of those things where we can so easily go, oh, but I really need that last thing to complete the collection. Yeah. Collections often, I'm not saying if you have a collection of something, please, I'm not going to come over to your house and be like, oh, judging them, they've got a collection. But it's a microcosm of this picture of we need more, right? right. Complete the collection, then I'll be happy. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. Money is not the root of all evil. A collection of garden gnomes is not the root of all evil. <laughs> But the love of collecting garden gnomes is a root of all kinds of evil, especially them being gnomes, creepy things. Number four on this practical list of responses is tithing. 
tithing, we're going to talk about this a lot more next week, so I'm not going to go into this right now, but tithing is like a safety valve for our souls that can help release the pressure to put all of our attention and trust in ourselves. And instead of saying, I deserve, it points our hearts to God deserves. It changes our hearts from this is mine to this is mine to steward. And we're going to talk about more of that next week. Five is repentance. To recognise, Jesus, I am sorry. Please forgive me. I take my heart to a 180 from seeking satisfaction through stuff to seeking you. Help me in that. It's impossible for me, but through God, all things are possible. I need you. I repent. I'm sorry. And six is starting to store up real treasure. The key to liberation from the power of materialism is not an exodus from culture, not an abandoning of Wall Street or leaving the wealth of the nation to others, but the grace of giving. Givers for God disarm the power of money. They invite God's grace to flow through them, from R. Kent Hughes' Disciplines of a Godly Man. God calls us to generosity, and we can be generous in many ways. We can give our time. We can be generous with our stuff, with our finances, with our home. The first few months of this year, God was talking about sharing our, what? Sharing our, you remember? Live, sharing our faith and sharing Jesus. Guys, that was an overwhelming response. Wow. Wow. I'm floored. Um, is part of this sharing our homes and sharing our wallets, this generosity, all tying in together, part of what God is wanting to do in discipling us to be a, a people who worship, who put him first, who open our hearts, open our, our wallets, open our time to others that we might share him. Could we then open a bank account as a blessing fund? Have an account where we just put a little bit in each month, not as a holiday fund, saving something for us for ourselves. I'm not saying saving is wrong, but a, a fund where we're just saving just to give. I know I've shared this with a few people in the church and who've opened, done this, and now I call them up now and then and say, they've, they've asked me to do this, and I call them and say, there's this need in the church, I, I submit it to you, prayerfully consider, and they say, yeah, here's an envelope for cash to Joe, give to this person. I mean, it's the church meeting one another's needs. It is my favourite part of my job to go, here's an anonymous envelope and from somebody in the church to give to you. And I just stand back and see God's blessing and just see like, the, just the joy of God. God has met my needs. How does God meet our needs? Through us. So storing up treasures in heaven, open, maybe opening a bank account. Could you pray as a family or as an individual about who you could give to or a missionary that you should support? We've had a couple here this morning. Uh, is there someone in the church that we could bless? Can we start a lifestyle of selling things that we don't need, maybe sometimes some of the things that we think we do need, and giving the money to charity or giving it away, living a lifestyle of selling and giving rather than buying and getting? Once we understand that God calls us as stewards and not owners of our stuff, it's all his anyway, right? Uh, it, it says in, uh, in Corinthians that everything that you have has been given to you, so why would you boast as though it was not a gift? David Livingstone of Dr. Livingstone, I presume, fame, uh, the famous missionary to Africa said, I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given, sorry, if anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving or keeping it, I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. To the age-old question, do we own our stuff or does our stuff own us? We have an answer. People whose treasure is in heaven 
cannot be owned by their possessions. Amen. And just before we just pray, and I want to give you guys just a moment to, to chat, is say this, if you are struggling anyway, and you are struggling to make ends meet, put food on the table, rent to pay, a car's broken down, something like that, please come and talk to me, Pastor Jonathan, or Kate after the service, and let us try and help meet these needs. This is what we're for as a body, okay? So let's just pray. Jesus, we just surrender our hearts to you afresh. Some of the teaching that you give is, sounds so hard, impossible even, to live like this, especially for us in the West. But Jesus, we know you only tell us to do things that are for your good, for our good, for the kingdom. Thank you, you've given us so much for our enjoyment. Thank you, you've blessed us with so, so much. Jesus, I pray that you would make us a people not dependent on our wealth, but we, who put our trust utterly in you, who learn the secret of contentment, and who learn to, to store up treasure in heaven through generosity, through giving, that we would be a people who don't give to get, but we get yeah. to give. Amen. That Jesus, we would be a people who are generous. Lord, I need you to do that in me. Work that in me deeper. Work that in greater. And thank you, Jesus, that in that we find makarios. We find blessing. We find life in its fullness as we follow your way and we learn to be disciples after you and apprentice after you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.